goals, one of the biggest, most sinister things that we miss around goals is that what it can do is it can remove happiness from our life and we anchor it to someplace in the future saying that until I get to that goal, I'm not allowed to be happy. I'm your host, Sarah Boss, and welcome to Attainable Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to the Attainable Podcast. Welcome if you're new here. Oh, I just got off of this interview and I'm recording this after because I wanted to kind of give you an intro. I'm not even sure how I can truly like emphasize to you how good this conversation was. You're going to, I'm not going to take a lot of time because you honestly, you need to listen to this. Um, David reached out to me on Instagram, sent me a voice message, which I'm a sucker for a voice message, man. I can't even tell you sucker for it. And um, immediately I was like, I got to get this guy on. He is such an amazing speaker. And he, um, I, I don't even know how to tell you guys, if you are feeling lost if you're wondering about your purpose if you just need a a boost of serotonin okay if you are looking for help with finding who you are or your career if you're looking for um like your life goals happiness literally if you just want to listen to something that's going to make you feel really good this is the podcast to listen to okay i'm i'm just going to leave it at that and with that here is david waldy Hey David, thank you so much for coming on. It's it's been a long time coming that you you <laughs> you should be on this podcast. So I'm so glad that we're finally finally getting this recorded. Sarah, I am honored to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation and we're going to have a lot of fun today. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Can you give um everybody who's listening a little intro on who you are, what you do, and yeah. how you got there? You've got a very interesting story. Yeah, so I am a Kansas farm boy at heart. I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I am married to my best friend in the whole world. We have three beautiful babies. Our most recent one came into the world in January. So I've got a little seven month old. Oh, congrats. And uh, we we actually live in South Carolina. So uh, just quick little backstory. Grew up in Kansas, moved to Florida for a while, ended up in South Carolina, moved here in 2009. And it fell in love with the area, fell in love with a, a church here, the community. And that's actually where I ended up meeting my wife. She was the the beautiful chick on stage leading worship at church. And I was like, I want that one. I want that one. <laughs> so, that one's mine. <laughs> and it was, it was a whole series of events that, that led to that. But, um, I grew up, Sarah, just in a very, very traditional conservative home. My dad was an entrepreneur himself. He's a veterinarian. He had his own practice. Mom was a teacher. And uh, I, I think like all of us, you grow up thinking that your childhood is is normal, like that everybody's childhood is the same until you actually become an adult and you're like, whoa, okay, not everyone had the same experience that I did. And it causes you to just reflect and uh, to to make changes. But it, it's a story that I'm excited to dive in with you uh, today. I don't, I'm not sure I realized you were in South Carolina. I don't know. I don't We're close. Not, we're close. Where in South Carolina are you? I'm in Columbia. Oh my God. Okay. I went to Columbia <laughs> College. <laughs> literally in uh oh how do you say oh yeah eau claire like the eau claire area yeah uh, bull street 
Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my God. I'm in Colombia all the time because we still have friends there. Um, we're up there. Well, for the record, since this is on the podcast, you and I have to share coffee and anyone listening to this has to hold us accountable. Okay? Oh, hold us accountable. <laughs> no, I was just saying, I was like, so see you at Divine Cinnamon yeah. Roll? In 100%. I'm there. Sounds good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> Divine Cinnamon Roll is my whole life. I just had my bridal shower. And my friend who was hosting, she, uh, we had it at my mom's house down here, but she brought divine cinema girls from Columbia oh, to the bridal shower, which just, yes. Uh, I will say though, I, my, one of my biggest accomplishments in life is that I've been working on my cinnamon roll recipe. I am a cinnamon roll connoisseur and mm. I, I beat them. Theirs is very good. Theirs is so, so good. <laughs> I did beat them which I just like to put that out there for you might be giving my wife a run for her money because she's in crafting hers for years as oh, well really it is the best you know uh, the bread like she even all the dough and everything from scratch from scratch yes you from, have to do it from scratch From scratch. <laughs> we have to we'll have to compare notes we'll have to compare notes and this in a row oh that's so oh my god that's so funny um it's very close yeah and and when we were talking a little bit earlier um, you said that you actually did not go to college um, yeah. and you had a little bit more of an unconventional path. And I mean, you have an unconventional career. Can you go into that a little bit? For sure. So I, I was like many people, you know, our parents conditioned us to to go to school, to get good grades so that you can graduate and get scholarships and hopefully get into a good school and get good grades and hopefully graduate and <laughs> get into a good job and do well in advance and that whole very traditional pathway. And I uh, I was on that trajectory. I worked my, my way uh, through high school. You know, I wasn't the best student, but I was, uh, you know, I did really, really, really well. And so I graduated with a full ride academic scholarship, but my senior year was a little bit different. I actually changed schools my senior year. And basically outside of a couple classes that I had to do, I decided to do OJT. So I would like get to school in the morning, I do a couple classes and I'd punch out at 1030 and I'd go do on the job training working, I would just go to work, and I would just work the entire day. And so for me, my senior year was very, very different. And when I graduated, I I, I had this opportunity to, um, to come to a school in South Carolina called South Carolina School of Leadership. Now at the time, uh, again, with with the scholarship that I had, it was very, very, very challenging, because Having grown up with the conditioning from my parents, college was always the next step, period, end of story. Like you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. And so for me to, to step away from that or even to entertain stepping away from it was a big deal. Because my dad, having an advanced degree, like I said, he's a veterinarian. My mom, uh, master's degree in education, she's a high-level educator. Uh, my mom was the first in her her family to go to college. My dad is, you know, first to have an advanced degree. And so for the, for their son that they raised, I have a younger sister. So for both of us, it was just not even something that was on their radar that I wouldn't go to college. And so there was a very challenging season of, of this, what I felt like was a healthy separation. Um, they, they supported me, they encouraged me, they believed in me, but there was still that resistance underneath. And so I came here to South Carolina to go to South Carolina School of Leadership, which centered around leadership development, interpersonal communication, understanding your strengths, behavioral psychology, a lot of things to do with, it, we, they effectively labeled it as like a gap year. It was a nine month period where you could come in, learn who you are, who you want to be, discover your purpose, discover your calling, discover your passions, your strengths, and all these different types of things. And that ended up turning into a two-year endeavor. I did a second year and was able to do like uh, be an RA and help the first years come in. And so 
it was I feel very, like everybody should do this. It was, it was, uh, it, it was an incredible experience, but it was also very, very, very challenging for me because during that season, you know, when you're, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, the whole world is ahead of you. Everyone's telling you what you should do. Everyone's telling you what not to do. Everyone's telling you, here's my advice. If you want to be successful, here's my recommendation. And so, you know, the challenge during that season for me, Sarah, is that all along, I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, right? I just, I just never knew. I ha- I'm a multi-potentialite. I obsess over countless different things. I mean, I'm equally as passionate about woodworking as I am reading, as I am snowboarding, as I am, you know, coaching, as I am working in sales. Like me. there's so this many different things, yeah. right? And so I, I didn't know. I was like, how can I choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. This is number one, a huge pressure because I don't want to make the wrong decision. Right? And you're like 19, 18, 19, 20. I'm like, who, who, who's giving me this <laughs> right now? Like I, I yeah. can't even have a glass of wine. Let them know and choose my entire <laughs> life. Like, what are you doing? And it was, it was so hard though, Sarah, because it seemed like everyone around me, they had this answer to the question that I couldn't answer. It's like, what is my purpose? What is my calling? Like, I've got multiple passions. What in the world? And because I've got friends going off to join the Air Force, and this person's go to a school to become an architect, and this person's going doing whatever. But I was I was one of those individuals that I was very fortunate that most of most of my friendships growing up were actually with kids that were significantly older than me, like four or five years, six years ahead of me. And one of the insecurities I had growing up, Sarah, was that I was always really close with those people until they found out my age. And then once they found out my age, because I was so much younger, it was almost like I became an outcast. And so I always like from a young age, I didn't ever want people to know how old I was. But in that, what was interesting is as I got into high school, I've got a bunch of friends that are graduating college and they're talking to me and they're like, dude, don't do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, don't go to college. Like, do not go to college. And that was obviously one voice. And on the other side, I've got my parents like, you got to go to college. And everyone talking about like, if you want to be successful, you got to get a degree if you want to get a good job and all this stuff. So I had this conflicting bit of information. And so I started kind of digging into it. I started to look at statistics and data. And I started realizing that the overwhelming majority, like 80 to 90 plus percent of people, there was a statistic I read not too long ago, actually, it's, it's just gotten worse as time has gone on. The 80 to 90% of college graduates, number one, they don't end up in the degree field that they studied. So they end up in a job that has nothing to do with their degree. And the only reason they got that job was because they had a degree. Um, Number two, there's a lot of people that graduate with degrees that go in a polar opposite direction. But the reason they do that is not because they are passionate about it, it's because they have to take a job to start paying back their student loan debt. Yeah. Because it's, like it's a whole so cycle. economical that they are forced to go work doing something just to make ends meet and start paying off these student loans. And then there was the uh, like the third segment, which the most recent stat, I, and don't quote me on this, go do your own research. But the, la- the last statistic I saw in this, Sarah, was that it was somewhere between three and 7% of college graduates not only graduate with a degree, but end up in their degree field. And then an even smaller percentage of that who end up in their degree field doing what they studied who like what they do yeah no it's insane like i mean I, all, i'm all. i'm one of the large percentage like i have a chemistry degree mm-hmm. that's I'm, I'm looking around me right now mm, that's not 
being used i entered that field and said you know what this sucks and that was the result of a i mean i chose that when i was like 16 17 a 16 to 17 year old deciding what she was going to do with her life having no idea who she was right it, it and it's hard so for anyone listening like if you're in that season today some of the things that I, i'm excited for sarah and i to talk through um was just the perspective that i adopted around growth and around um expanding my myself learning testing trying different things and really just shifting my mindset about success and redefining success for myself but I wanted to kind of fast forward through this, Sarah. What ended up happening is that after I went to that internship program for a couple of years, I went straight into the workforce. So I'm, you know, and I was working during all this time. So I started work when I was 16 and there was never, since since I was 16, I've never not worked. because. And I, what I worked, were you doing? I mean, I've been in sales my entire life. Okay. Gotcha. In some form of sales, yeah. So when I uh, finished that internship program, I, I actually got my first adult job, uh, adult sales job. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I always had this aversion to anything hourly and anything salary. I never, ever, ever wanted to have a salary. And I never, ever, ever wanted to get paid by the hour. And here's why. When I was probably 12, 13 years old, my dad owned his vet clinic. I'll never forget this. We were supposed to go fishing on like a Saturday and he had to repave the front of his office. It was like bricks. And so he had made me uh, an offer and said, hey, if you're willing to help me with this, I will pay you. And when I'll I'll never forget this here, the first thing in the morning we get there, I see this massive stack of bricks and this load of work that I know is going to take me eight hours. I'm going to be sweaty and dirty and nasty. And so my dad says, I'll pay you X number of dollars per hour. I'm like, okay, cool. So I get into it and it's like, it is hot. It's gross. I'm digging up, like I'm digging all the cracks out of each brick and I'm lifting it out and trying to fit another one in there. And just, cause it was tons of cracked brick. And so he comes out a couple hours later and I've made like no progress, like zero progress. And he was very kind about it, but I'm like, dad, this job sucks. Like This is terrible. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And what I, what I didn't know at the time was that my dad had actually done that on purpose. He was trying to teach me a lesson, not just about hard work, but he was trying to teach me the lesson between getting paid hourly or getting paid salary and what it looks like to make commission or to get paid for your performance. And so he said, buddy, why don't we, um, why don't we change the deal here? Instead of me paying you per hour, what if I, what if I paid you per brick? I was like, hmm. He's like, and as many bricks as you can get done, you know, by the end of the day, this day, by this time, we'll, we'll total it up and I will pay you a commission on each brick that you've laid. So there's something inside of me as this 12, 13 year old kid, like my brain went bonkers because I did the math. I'm looking at these bricks and I'm like, I could make like a hundred dollars or like 150 bucks. This is a lot of money versus whatever it was. And I mean, this is <laughs> a long time ago. So uh, he was pro- he had probably offered me like five bucks an hour or something yeah. like that to do. And so I'm doing the math and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could do this and get all this done. And, and so I, uh, I dive in and I just start crushing through it. And I'm like going, 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 going. He comes back out a couple hours later and he makes me stop. He's like, you see this stuff over here? I've been rushing. I've been rushing. He's like, he's like, this is not, a, this is not okay. Like you're, you're going too fast. You're not being intentional in the process. And so I had to go back and was working on things, but I still had in this mind, I was like, the more that I can produce, the more that I get paid. 
And mm -hmm. I fell in love with this idea that if I got paid for performance, it meant that there was no limit to how much money that I could earn because I didn't realize what my dad was trying to teach me was that in a salary position or an hour, hourly position, you get lazy. And the better you become at your craft, the longer you're at a job, the more you work somewhere, guess what? You become more proficient, more adept. You become more skilled. You can do things exponentially faster and better but you got to wait six months or a year or two mm -hmm. years before you get your 25 cent bump or whatever it is. Right. And so what I learned in that moment, what my dad was trying to teach me was I had gotten lazy knowing that I'll just ride out the day. If I'm going to make five bucks an hour, it doesn't matter how good I work. doesn't matter how fast I work. I'm going to get paid either way. And that is how most people operate in jobs today. So for me, I fell in love from, with, uh, from a young age with this idea of pay for performance, which caused me to fall in love with sales. And so transitioning into sales, I built a career in sales, ended up, uh, we'll, fa we'll fast forward a little bit here. I ended up achieving the quote unquote American dream by the time I was about 25. I ended up in a senior leadership position generating millions of dollars in year in sales per year, leading a team, glass corner office, company car, company credit card, like the house, the car, like everything. And to be honest, Sarah, I was, um, I was suicidal. I was having regular panic attacks. I was 50 pounds heavier than I am right now. I was working 70, 80 hours a week. Uh, very, very, very early on into my marriage. Um, my wife and I were about to have a, a kid and our first, our first, our daughter. And over the period of about six months, um, there was several things that happened. I started to realize that I had been living in this kind of just in, in our twenties, this cloudy, I don't know what way is up or down. All I know is I want to win. And I don't want to lose. And I want to be able to help people and love people and serve people and build a successful life. And I want to have lots of money and I want to have lots of sex and I want to have lots of fun. And I want to like, I want to live. Right. And for me, that's where reality met me face to face. And I, I just, I basically collapsed. Um, over the series of about six months, I had um, corporate betrayal where I came out about some stuff that was going on in the ownership of the company, which backfired. I got a $40,000 pay cut. My wife had had our first, but then um, we were pregnant with our second. We went through a miscarriage. And then I ended up in, in probably very familiar, we've all seen it in, in movies, that picture of the big giant conference room with the giant table and the big dogs on one side and the little guy on the other side and just getting ripped to shreds. That was my experience. And I'll never forget sitting there getting cussed out about how the only reason that I was still at this company was because I was too much of a financial asset. That I was generating millions and millions and millions of dollars in sales for this company, but they didn't have a way to replace me. And the only reason that I was still there was because I was making them so much money. And so that was a very, very real wake up call of realizing that my heart had always been to serve and to love and to help other people. And especially in sales, I never thought I was good at sales, but the numbers didn't lie. I was a top 1% producer in this $400 million a year business. And 
So I'm wrestling with all this. I'm good at sales. I'm good at dealing with people. Like I feel like I've built, I've achieved the American dream. What everybody says you're supposed to have, I have. Why am I miserable and absolutely hating life? What have I missed? Where did I go wrong? What is like my health is in the trash. My relationships suck. My relationship with myself sucks. Self-talk, anxiety, everything just through the roof. And it was a fateful meeting that I had with a mentor of mine. Um, during all this time, I still believed in in learning and growing and expanding. I listened to podcasts. I mean, uh, reading books, uh, working with people that I felt like were more brilliant than me. And one of the one things I, I want to share, Sarah, that I think was the game changer for me was that I somehow I was blessed to have enough awareness to recognize that if I really wanted anything in life, I needed to look at someone that had modeled it and owned it for themselves and were walking in it in full alignment, in full integrity. So if I wanted to have a marriage that was going to last for 75 years, I started to intentionally search out people that had been married for 50 plus years so I could go sit and talk with them and say, what did you do right? And what did you do wrong? If I wanted to, uh, if I wanted to be successful in my career, I found people that were passionate and loved their career and were super excited. If I wanted to learn how to be a better parent, I would look at families that were whole units and there wasn't divorce present. And it was like healthy, like the kids loved their parents. And, and so I started really pouring my heart into this thing called modeling. I was like, I want to find people that I can model. And so I had a mentor of mine in this fateful meeting. It's a little Mediterranean restaurant, sitting there eating shawarma and a whole bunch of other food I can't <laughs> pronounce. And it's right on Main Street here in Columbia, actually. I might have to take you there. And Hold on, which restaurant? I can't remember the name of it. She took me there, I, but it was just, okay. it was definitely the we'll whole go. vibe. Yeah, we'll it go. was awesome. And so it's got the glass windows, you know, where you can see traffic driving past. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like gazing out and uh, she stops for a minute and went and she, um, the reason we were there, she had approached me and she said, David, I'm building out this high level executive coaching program. That's worth about $300,000 that I have to have five case studies for before I can bring this to my board of directors. Do you want 300 grand in free coaching? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, please? Yes, I will absolutely take it. And so we were there for one of these meetings and I'll never forget what she asked me, Sarah. She looked me dead in the face and she was like, David, who do you want to become? Now, that doesn't sound like a life altering question, but for me in that moment, something broke and shifted because I realized that for my entire life, I had been looking outside of myself and my, de my desires, my dreams, what I wanted, and was trying to find permission to define who I wanted to become. I had never given myself permission to define the man that I wanted to be, the life that I wanted to create, the father I wanted to be, the husband I wanted to be. All I was looking at was like, well, somebody out there, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And especially growing up, like I grew up in an evangelical Christian home, I had a model of like, this is what it's supposed to be like to love Jesus and be a good dad and all this stuff. And, and that hadn't, you know, it, it left me with a bunch of unanswered questions. Like I get it spiritually, but practically, how do I freaking do this? Like, how, how do I, how do we create a life of fulfillment and, and, and actual lasting success? And so in that moment, like kind of tongue in cheek, I looked at her, I was like, I don't know. Like, she's like, who do you want to become? 
like pick a person. I was like, I don't know who I want to become. She's like, pick somebody you would want to model. I was like, Jesus. And she said, wrong answer. You can't say Jesus. It's a cop Jesus. Out. What a good, what a like, good on, Christian be- boy answer. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And so then she's like, no, somebody else. I was like, honestly, um, I mean, I'd love to be somebody like a Tony Robbins who inspires and encourages people and builds them up and challenges them. And uh, probably with a few less F words. And I definitely don't want to travel as much as he does, but that's how I see myself. I want to inspire and encourage people. And she was so, so powerful in her confrontation. That was very loving. And she's like, how do you expect anyone to follow you if you're not leading yourself? And it was the first moment in my life, Sarah, where I started to actually grab a hold of a vision of the man that I wanted to become, the life that I wanted to create. That's hard. That is extremely hard. Like when you said that she asked you, who do you want to become? I'm like, oh my God, I literally couldn't imagine two two years ago, really. Like you'd ask me that, I probably would have just burst into tears. That was the most terrifying question. Like for somebody to ask you to like, Hey, like, what do you want your future to be? What do you want to be? Uh, what are you doing now? I'm like, don't look at me. Ask me what I had for lunch. Don't ask me that. <laughs> Please don't ask me that. Yeah. We are taught from a young age. What do you want to do when you grow up? Right. Some of us were taught like, who do you want to be when you grow up? But it's, it was more of like a role. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I want to be an ice cream man or a police officer or whatever it is. Like, what do you want to do? And so for me, the whole, who do you want to become? What it did is it unlocked these this permission that I had been desperately starving for, looking for, that I didn't realize I just had to give myself permission to define who I wanted to become. And in that process, I, I started crafting a vision that was very uncomfortable, that I didn't believe, that I thought was a, a load of hooey because there's no way I could do that in my life. There's no way that's who I could become. It's not possible for me. I'm a kid from Kansas who like, you know, grew up feeding horses. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And that process, Sarah, that was, um, about four years ago. And since that day, my life is, I don't even recognize who I was. And every single thing that I wrote down on the man that I want to become the last one, actually, you'll get a kick out of this, Sarah, the last one I actually achieved three weeks ago. Now I'm redefining success now. I've got a whole new definition of what success is for me, Mm -hmm. but the one that I achieved three weeks ago, I officially lost 50 pounds from where I had started. And I went from 263 pounds down to 213 being the best shape of my life. And that was the last piece I had. I'd stepped into the father I wanted to be, the husband I wanted to be, the entrepreneur that I wanted to be, the coach and consultant that I wanted to be, the speaker that I wanted to be, the author that I wanted to be. All these are things that are still in process, but I had these big giant things that and and I share this because I want to encourage anyone listening. There are dreams and desires and things that are inside of your heart that the reason that they have come up since you were a kid is because it, I believe that is part of your purpose and part of your calling. But if you don't give yourself permission to pursue those things, you will stay perpetually. You will stay in this state of dissatisfaction because you are not honoring the things that I believe God has placed inside of your heart. The reason that you want them is because they're a part of what will make you come alive. But if we're actively doing things opposite of those and we're not actively pursuing them it's no wonder why so many people are like i just 
I don't feel alive. I, I feel, I don't feel alive. I feel like I'm lost. I feel aimless. I feel like there's no purpose and I feel depressed and anxious. And what is this whole thing about? And so for anyone that is having those things inside of your heart, just know the only way that you can bring those into reality to make those manifest in your life is not by changing your external circumstances and getting a different job and being with a different girlfriend or boyfriend or you know having kids or getting the career. It all comes down to how you see yourself, how you treat yourself, how you talk to yourself, and what you believe about yourself. Because if you can shift those things, the external world will change in direct correlation to you changing from the inside out. So I do want to give one very simple tool because a lot of this, you know, Sarah, it, it it sounds challenging. It sounds like almost too good to be true. It's like, oh, you just changed your life. You just fixed everything. No, it was a very long, very painful process. As I said, you know, three weeks ago, I finally hit that last thing on that list that I made. And so the tool that I want to encourage everyone to consider is this. That mentor that I talked to you about, she had me sit down and write out my perfect day. I, I love had, this. Have you done this exercise before? Yes, I have. <laughs> this was the most helpful thing than when everybody said, like, write down what you want to do or write down your goal. Like, oh, yeah. what um what was it? Oh, like when I went to would like watch these like inspirational videos or I went to a Rachel Hollis conference, which that's Everybody has their own that could be a whole nother conversation. <laughs> we could enter a whole nother conversation. This was, um, God, what year was that? That was, I know I went to it in 2019, peak Rachel Hollis era. Um, guys, we are all new people. Anyway, I went to this <laughs> conference and I remember like, and it was like, write what you want to be in, or like who you want to be in 10 years. When you be in, like all that was horrific to me. I remember I left crying because I was like I don't know like I have no idea what this is and then I think it was last year where I was at um like a retreat with some business friends and I got I got asked like hey just write your perfect day and I'm like that I can do that in my mess of a mind I can do that (laughs) it's so powerful because most often we're we're taught what are your five-year goals and 10-year goals and 20 and I'm like I'm sure people have reason for it, but in my mind and in my life, that doesn't work because I, I can't recognize my life five years ago. So how in the world am I supposed to anticipate and plan for what? I'm like, that's an irrelevant question because um, I'd say mm, 80% of that is out of my control. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot that I can control, but I look back five years and I'm like, "Mm, not a, not a nothing in me could have prepared for now. And here's the the tension in this, though, that's so, so challenging is a lot of times I think with goals, one of the biggest, most sinister things that we miss around goals is that what it can do is it can remove happiness from our life and we anchor it to someplace in the future saying that until I get to that goal, I'm not allowed to be happy. And I'm all for goal setting. Goals are incredibly important. You have to align yourself, with, but it's... To me, it's less about the accomplishment of whatever the thing is and more about the type of person you want to be on that timeline. So when we take this simple exercise, uh, what happened for me, it took it took less than a year for it to become reality, Sarah, but I, I found the journal entry. So I, I wrote the journal entry probably three or four years ago. I found it a, 
about a year ago when I was just looking through that and, and I started crying. I started weeping because everything that I had written down of what I wanted my perfect day to look like had become a reality. Now I hadn't, I, I had been working towards it, but I had released it in the sense of I wasn't waiting to get to that point to be happy. Right. And I'll give you a couple of my hit list things is number one, I wanted to wake up and be able to exercise and go to the gym. I wanted to be able to make breakfast with my kids. I wanted to have a couple hours with my kids and my wife. I wanted to have a couple hours where I could work with clients, do content, you know, um, working in consulting business, whatever. I wanted to have a break for lunch where I could spend an hour with my, my family. We make lunch together. We roll around on the floor. We just play. And then I wanted to have a couple hours in the afternoon where I was doing client fulfillment, working with people, group programs, masterminds, whatever. And then I wanted to punch out on like a normal day. But I also wanted the flexibility and freedom that at any given time, the clients that I wanted to be working with, they would be so aligned with me that if I ever told them, hey, I, um, I, I need to reschedule, they wouldn't be hard. They wouldn't be challenging. And I would have the freedom and flexibility to dance in the kitchen at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday with my wife if I wanted to. And that happened. I created that reality because I left the corporate job. I went all in on my dream. I started building out this, um, this business that was centered around a philosophy I call fierce empathy. And without going too far into that, I, I, cause I, I don't want to go down a whole nother road, but for me, it was this realization that what I carried, particularly around sales and particularly around emotional intelligence was that I had developed this skill set that that mentor of mine that I talked to you about, she challenged me. She's like, David, what you carry and how you approach business and how you approach people and how you approach sales, this is rare. And I don't know why you don't go out on your own and build your own thing and take this goodness and share it with other people instead of just having it in this business. So I went all in on it and I just decided I'm going to go all in on it. And from that point, I ended up becoming, um, speaking of Tony Robbins a little bit ago, I became a speaker and head trainer for Tony Robbins. I was able to do consulting for one of his businesses. I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs from across the globe. I now have my hands in some forms of life coaching, high performance coaching, consulting, speaking, writing. My entire life started to change because of that one simple activity of starting to define who I want to be, but not five years from now. Who do I want to be six months from now, 12 months from now? And here's the key though. If you write out your perfect day and you're struggling, some of some of the people listening to this, I know you're struggling to define who you want to become. The purpose of this exercise is to dream wild, insane, absurd, stupid dreams that do not make sense to anyone. You're not going to believe it's possible. You're not going to think it's possible. You're not going to have an inkling of an idea of how to make that a reality. But what it does is it allows you to practice this thing we call visualization which leads to manifestation. You visualize who you want to be one day, but you don't allow that happiness gap to get created. Like I can't, until I'm that person, I'm not gonna be happy. Don't do that. Be happy now, love yourself now, <laughs> to be in the moment now, but start thinking from that future version of yourself. How would that version of me wake up every day? How would that version of me be taking care of their health 
and their nutrition? How would that version of me be as a husband or a wife? How would that version of me be a girlfriend or boyfriend, be a parent, be a, a leader, an entrepreneur, a, an influencer, a content creator? What would that version of me be thinking and doing? How would they carry themselves? How would they talk to themselves? How would they be thinking? When you can start practicing this with consistency, you almost pretend your way in. It's not fake it till you make it, right? I don't believe in that, but I do believe that when we can craft this alter ego, this alter version of ourselves, and we start thinking from that plane, we literally start to completely transform ourselves from the inside out. And one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me now. And now I have permission to redefine what the next level is because that actually wasn't that hard. I mean, it was hard at times. But all I had to do was every day is like, this is who I am. So this is what I do. I don't negotiate with myself. I don't, you know, make excuses. I don't blame other people. This is the man that I said that I would be. And I'm going to be that regardless day in and day out. And you do that enough as a man or a woman. And you will find that your life directly changes in proportion to what you, what you do on the inside. And you will start to manifest in your life all of the things that you don't think currently you are allowed or have permission to have in your life. Oh, I love that this is who I am. So this is what I do. I feel like that is so such a, such a good way to like kind of simplify into like this one nugget that you can take and remember every day. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to ask a couple questions about okay. um, going back to like goal setting and um, this like new idea of yourself, because I think there is a careful balance and I was all about goals, obviously went to a Rachel Hollis conference. I thought I was doing the most. Um, I was in a terrible place, but like in those, you know, I, I had the, the period of time where all I was reading was personal mm. development books and professional development books. And like, I was trying, you know, whatever yeah. and could not get my head around, uh, one, how I made a goal. I was mm. like, I don't, I don't know anything. You keep telling me about goals. I don't understand how to make a yeah. goal. I don't know who I want to be. Stop asking me that question. Just give me the answers. <laughs> um, Two, I was like, and and especially being a multi-passionate person, the minute I thought I had something, mm. I was onto something else. Like I, and I would get really disappointed with myself. And the thing I hated the most about goals is that I wasn't there yet. I was like, I don't understand how these people are so motivated by goals when it just reminds me of who I'm not. Yeah. And it made me so angry. And I think that there is a there there is a a different shift and. I don't know really what to call it. You probably, since you're a professional, have some name for it where, you know, you are saying, hey, this is like who I want to be, but not being sad that you're not yeah. there yet. And I'm even thinking of how I think of myself today and like what you're saying, you know, it is more of a, even if I'm not there yet, it's still who I am. I've also, you know, come to understand that the, uh, I, I look around now, I'm like, gosh, like when I was little, these, these, these dreams that I had that I used to whisper in high school that I had no idea about yeah. that, that I didn't, that I, it's, it's like I had two different dreams, the dreams I actually had in my head. And then the dreams I would say out loud, not because I was embarrassed of the other ones, because I just considered it not real. It was like, oh, well, okay, I want to be a mermaid, but in fact, I actually want to be a doctor kind of thing. <laughs> like it was, it, it was like something you just don't pay attention to. And now yeah. I look back and I'm like, I'm looking, I'm looking back at the 14 year old who put up a camera and said she wanted to be on YouTube. I'm like, girly girl, we're yeah. 
there. And, <laughs> and I'm recognizing like, there's some things that you're, you're gonna, yeah. it's going to hit you in the face again, but yeah. how do you, how do you make that picture for yourself? How do you get to a place where you're like, okay, um, you know, this is what I want. And, and these are my big wild dreams or whatever, and yeah. not feel like crap because you're mm-hmm. not there yet. So there's a couple different things that I think you'll find uh, anyone. And I, I have to practice these regularly. I am not perfect at them. I, I make these mistakes, but I will say that it has completely altered my experience of life. And it centers around a concept I call aligned abundance. Okay. So if we think about alignment in and of itself, we strip it back to simplicity. That's a big buzzword right now, but I don't think very many people stop to actually consider what it means is because a lot of people think that alignment means I just feel good all the time, which is total BS. If you are seeking constant pleasure and happiness all the time, that is why you have the problems you have, is that most people are framing and defining success around, I just want to be happy all the time, right? And I get it. I understand it. I want to be happy all the time too. But you are creating this vision or this version of a reality that is somewhat um, dystopian, right? Um, or utopian, I don't know, whatever it is, not dystopian, the opposite one, yeah, where everything's uto- perfect. Utopia, yes, <laughs> utopian, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and so the reason I call it aligned abundance is that if you don't know what you're aiming at, you have no way of aligning yourself. If you're looking on a map and you are like, you're, you're saying, I want to get to this place. Here's my goal, whether it's in my health in my relationships in my business and my finances or whatever, you know, I love uh, the physical side because it's much easier to understand when we talk about like exercise and nutrition, right? So everyone, we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and some of us like what we see. And some of us, I think most of us, don't like what we see to some degree, right? Whether it's facial features or our body or, or whatever it is. But the reason that people struggle with uh, with the goal setting is because of this, this concept, not understanding aligned abundance is that when you come to this place where you recognize that what you see is not who you are, because who you are is actually what you see in here. So what we see in the mirror, the reflection, all it is is skin and bones. Like that, that's it. But we can objectively step outside of ourselves and assess ourselves and criticize ourselves, which means by extension, there are two things going on here. We have ourselves, which a lot of people would refer to as the ego, right? You've got your ego. And then you've got this other part of you that is able to step outside of your ego and to be able to, to confront yourself, to talk to yourself, to encourage yourself to build yourself up. There's these two things going on. And so when you start to define, okay, this is, we'll take health, for example, this is a health goal that I have. The mistake most people make is like, well, I'm a fatty right now. So I just feel like crap. Thanks a lot, man. Like, I know that I want to have that type of body, but I don't. So I just feel ashamed. I feel guilty. I feel bad. I feel like frustrated. So no, I'm not freaking motivated to go to the gym. (laughs) And that's where people make the mistake. Is because what you're you're doing in that process is you are comparing in an unhealthy way instead of aspiring to and being able to simultaneously say, I love myself where I'm at. And I'm frustrated that the outward body that I have does not reflect what's really inside of here. 
Because the truth is, is that we do have to have some element of dissatisfaction and research has proven this, Sarah, is that outside of somewhat traumatic experiences, human beings are incapable of change. So if we boil this down, there's really two ways that this happens. Involuntary trauma, which has varying degrees, like all the way, like real, real, real trauma, right? Versus like I pricked my finger or I had to get out of bed when my alarm went off and it was a traumatic experience. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of bed, right? But the truth is all of us, we've heard these stories of people that have these wake-up calls. The doctor calls. You find out that your, your spouse was in a car accident. You lose a child. You find out you're your mom's got cancer. There is tough stuff that happens. And it's in those moments of trauma. That's where you see people make changes. So that's the involuntary kind. But what the research proved is that if we can create voluntary micro trauma in our life, meaning we do the things that are uncomfortable, that we don't feel like we want to do, that are not happy, <laughs> because we're committed to a higher ideal, because ultimately that higher ideal is not something out there. It's already in here. We're not broken. None, I do not believe a single person on this planet is broken. I just believe that most of us are not fully assembled. And there are all these components that we brought into our lives that we have to dis, we have to disassemble certain things and reassemble certain things because there is no handbook. For how you as an individual, I mean, you can take certain religious texts and things like that. For me, it would be the Bible. There's certain things, core values I align with, but that doesn't give you a play-by-play -play of your choices, your day-to-day -day actions and things like that. And so I know that this is getting kind of heady here, but I want to strip it down to simplicity and just say that if you can look to the future and hold this ideal of yourself, you have to understand that that's nothing outside of your mind. It's something that's conjured up in your mind. That's actually who you are. That's the truest form of who you are. So instead of it causing you guilt or shame, it should be inspiring and encouraging as, yeah, I'm willing to push through the pain at the gym because that's who I want to be. I'm sick and tired of this body, not reflecting the true version of me, but I, I love myself. I love who I am and I'm perfectly confident. I got myself in this situation. And I still love myself, but I'm dissatisfied because this isn't the reflection of the person I want to be. That's where the nuance is, Sarah, that I think so many people miss is learning how do you love yourself, which comes down to emotional awareness, self-talk. How do you talk to yourself? How do you treat yourself? And then having this higher ideal that is actually the, the most authentic, truest form and version of who you were created to be. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be able to think that. Yeah. Does that make sense? I know no. there's a lot. <laughs> no, it totally, it totally makes sense. And I'm, um, I hope you see, I'm like taking notes as we're going, um, just to make sure that I can keep the pieces within my brain, but no, that absolutely makes sense. Cause it, it was like a shift in my mind where I was, um, when I finally got over my issue with like goals and stuff, I realized it was like, okay, it's not, you know, I'm going to be proud when I get here or mm. like, I'm, I'm working to get here. And so I suck right now, but don't worry. Like I'm whatever it was like, it was a, wow, look at where I'm going. Yeah. It was an exciting, like, it wasn't a doubt of if I would get there. It wasn't a, like, my worth, you know, is up there and I'm down here and I'm trying to work my way to it or be worthy for it. Like, whatever. It was like, wow. Like, and that kind of connected the idea of it's being a person I already am mm -hmm. where, because I, I was like, I'm on this road, like I'm going to get there. You know, it's not, it's, it's just, 
Belief. me in the future, but it's still me. It's yeah. still me. And I, I can be excited about where I'm going. And I wish that that is something that I would have had in my mind back then when I graduated, a little bit after I graduated, where even if I wasn't in the job that I wanted or you know, if I, um, like if I was still in the chemistry lab or I, you know, was still like in early stages, because the truth is like, you're not going to be where, you know, quote, like when you, there's no making it, but there, you know, you're not going to feel that right after college. It's anybody who says you are is lying. And that's a big disappointment, but what you can feel is on your way. Like you can yeah. be really excited about the journey. And honestly, like, I, I think about it, <laughs> I think about it almost in terms of, um, like a sports competition or like championships, like, you know, when you're on a sports team or, or even if you're in theater or you have some performance, anything where there's like a big thing at the end where you compete or you perform or whatever. And yeah. like, nobody is pissed off when they're rehearsing, when they're practicing, because they're not at the championship yet. Like no, every, you know, and when the championship actually happens, when the performance happens, it's yeah. almost sad. Because you're like, wow, this entire journey's over. Like, look at all the fun I had. Look at all we learned. Like, the all the weird times, all the times where, you know, yeah. I cried backstage and then we went back and we laughed and it was great. And like, I realized I was like, that's the fun part is not the performance. The fun part is not the the championship or when you get there. The fun part is when you're working your way up. Like that's. The bar yeah. and it, when you're stuck in this place where you're so focused ahead that mm -hmm. you're not recognizing like the beauty of of where you are now, you yeah. completely miss a, yeah. a whole piece of your life. You do, you do, and it's interesting because I mean we're we're wired to chase dopamine, and that's really all those mountaintop experiences are. Someone wins a gold medal, dopamine, and it lasts for a little while, and you feel great. You know, you hit a financial landmark, or you finally, you know, marriage. Right? You're going to get married, and it's going to be incredible, and you're going to love it. And that, that's why they say that then the honeymoon phase wears off. You know, and you have to work at these things with consistency, and you have to have a higher ideal, because especially if you're wanting to, to create something that is lasting, that is a blessing to other people, that's a blessing in your life, like these things all require intentionality. But where I think everything that you just said, Sarah, is spot on, because the reason so many people feel dissatisfied with life is because of, there, there's underdevelopment around emotional intelligence is what I see most often is that most people aren't emotionally aware or what they're doing is in their heads. They're living in a future that doesn't exist. They're living in the past that no longer exists. So in the past, you have people, the reason that they feel so dissatisfied and frustrated with life and not filled with passion and excitement and motivation and, and are feeling inspired is because they are reliving moments from their past and there's guilt and shame and regret and all these questions. And so they're drawing emotion from time that does not exist into their present reality, making their present reality tense. It's present tense, present tension. The same thing happens though for the future is that if we don't know how to emotionally regulate and to challenge these stories, this is the, the bulk of the work that I do, Sarah, is helping people learn how to craft different stories in their head to anchor them into the present moment. Because if we can anchor into the present moment, 
we actually have access to like 98% of the stuff we want or we think we want that we're going to get if we achieve X, Y, and Z. Peace, contentment, joy. These things that we really desperately crave, intimacy in our relationships, right? A great relationship with ourselves, the ability to look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, what up, best friend, right? So many people don't have that because again, they're either living in the past or they're living in the future and they're, it, it's worry, it's anxiety, it's fear of the unknown. And these stories, they tell it like, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if the economy? And what if COVID? And what if Ukraine? And what if all the, what if all the stuff? And so either side, people are living in the past or they're living in the future. And they're drawing emotion from time that does not exist into their present reality because of stories that we tell ourselves. So we never actually feel like we can enjoy anything. And the reason is, is because of self-sabotage. You can't enjoy anything because you're not even in the present moment. So you miss all of what makes life beautiful because we don't understand how to regulate our emotions and to challenge these stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, about who other people are, about what's possible, about potential, all these different types of things. And so that would be of any encouragement because that's what I have to do every single day. Because we all deal with worry and fear and doubt and questions and guilt and shame and regret. But there's a difference in, in feeling those things for a moment and, and asking, okay, what, am, what can I learn here? What's useful? What's not useful? Is this true? Who would I be without this thought? Like what? How would I show up if I didn't believe this to be true? If we can start to practice those things, we actually take a step back and we're like, all of this emotional duress is 100% on me. Mm -hmm. And it actually has nothing to do with my circumstances or anyone else around me. Which is a relief. When it's I figured a relief, that out, it's, it's a relief. Oh yeah, relief but terrifying. <laughs> but I was like, okay, at least I know, like if it's me, I can change it. Like if it's me, I have that control. If mm -hmm. it, it like nothing around me is on fire, therefore, like I just have to work on me. I was like, at least there's like a focus there. When you were talking about um like taking emotion from the past or the present, it, it reminds me of when my mom would say, Don't borrow trouble. Mm. Don't borrow trouble. I'd be like, what if this? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, what if this could happen? She's like, Don't borrow trouble. Don't yeah. borrow trouble. And I'm like, um, that's such a simple saying, but it's so I'm gonna steal that. Great. That's so good. I love no, literally, that. Literally, it's I think it's a very <laughs> southern thing to say to like don't borrow trouble. And um don't don't borrow trouble. Don't borrow trouble from your past, don't borrow trouble from your future. Mm. Like there's stuff going on right in front of you, you know. Just if you like, so is anything you're talking about, is anything that you're worried about something that is on fire right now? If you can look around, is there a current situation that is blowing up? that no no it is all in your okay if it's all in your head great then let's let's maybe set that down for a second i am i'm like mm. mind blown by everything you're saying and i'm very I was, i'm like we are going to have to have a part two i hope you're okay with that I, i'm down <laughs> no way that we can i'm looking at the time i'm like there's we could go on i'm not kidding for another two hours like 100 <laughs> percent. and there's so much more that i think you have to share there's so much more i want to ask um, but do you have any, you know, since you've dropped all these beautiful inspirational bombs on our brains and we are currently <laughs> exploding on the floor, um, anything that you want to just hit us with <laughs> for an ending, yeah. any, any words, especially, um, you know, with, uh, a lot of not, not everybody, but a lot of my audience, um, I th think anybody can relate to this, um, 
are in this time or know and have been in this time where it's so you were saying like in your 20s where everything's cloudy you don't know what what way is up what way is down like that moment in time um any advice for that person especially um like my curiosity is is there a point in trying to find the direction is there a point in trying to grab hold of something or or get stable or any anything like that when you're about between the age of 18 and 25 or something along those lines because I'm looking back and if I were to go back in time I would have told little Sarah hey let go like literally don't even try to be stable don't even try because it's not worth it you're going to cause yourself so much heartache but that might be me being cynical I don't know (laughs) no I think that so there's several recommendations that I'd make for anyone in that season is that um, depending on your upbringing you're probably you know everyone listening you're probably either a saver or a spender right that's pretty pretty universal. You're like typically one or the other. Very few people are really well regulated on and on finding that balance between the two. And the best piece of advice that I could give to anyone in that 18 to, to 25, 26 range is try and test as many things as you can possibly handle during this season of life. You've probably heard it a thousand times before, but life does not get easier. It gets more complex. It gets more um, challenging. And I think the the reason that I've been able to see the success in my life that I have is because during those years, all that I was focused on was learning, growing, and expanding. I wanted to learn from people smarter than me. I just would obsessively read. I would listen to podcasts. I would go to conferences. I would try and find mentors and coaches and models and people that, and even if they, you know, I just, I truly believe if you are in that 18 to 25 range, the best thing you can do for yourself is to invest in yourself in some capacity, like just read 30 minutes a day. By the time that you are 28, 30 years old, you will be light years ahead of everyone else that is just Instead of reading 30 minutes a day, they scrolled on social media for 30 minutes a day. And that's the thing is you have to take this long and short view of life. The reality is we could die tomorrow. But it, the other reality is you could live for another 100 years <laughs> or more, depending on, right? depending on technology and how all that goes. But so it's this both and it's you need to be saving and planning for the future, even if it's and I know people don't take this seriously even if you're saving like 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks no, a month. No, literally, actually. Like, yeah. That's not an exaggeration. Like literally just put that into a bank account you can't even see. You have no idea what that's going to mean to you 10 years from now. And so it's planning for the future a little bit and being a good steward with your financial resource, but also giving yourself permission to enjoy some things along the way. Where I think people get in trouble is when they overdo it on one side or the other. They never have any fun because they're just terrified of the future and they're just save and hoard all their money and they never live. Or you have people that are out there that keep, they have no concern for the future and they just make and spend and make and spend and make and spend. So it's finding that balance for yourself, but investing in yourself by reading, trying new things, do crazy experiences. Like, you know, if you can internship at this random, like if something piques your interest, 
understand that following that road is something that is going to be immeasurably useful to you, but you have to have the right mindset. If you have the mindset, I'm going into this and this better work out, you're going to be perpetually disappointed. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is say, I'm going into this open-ended, not knowing what's going to happen, but this is like for us, you know, multi-passionate, multi-potentialite, I'm going to go down this road. And guess what? Nine times out of 10, you're going to hit a dead end, or you're going to be like, meh, this isn't for me. Where people go awry and, and, and mess things up is instead of appreciating the fact that they indulged this thing and pursued it to find out that it was a dead end. There's so much freedom in that because you will otherwise have spent the rest of your life being like, well, what if I would have tried that one thing? What if yeah. I would have done that? What if that I would have taken that? productive. Yeah, it's still productive because you're going to learn new things and all the soft skills and, and how we interact with people and what your passions are. And I can't tell you time and time and time and time again, I've headed down a path that there was a crook in the road and I took that crook and I ended up on a path I didn't even know existed there. And then you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I, there's no way I could have planned this happening. And the other thing I would say is this, stop looking at situations in your life as good or bad. Stop, period. End of story, full stop stop it. Your parents getting divorced, stop saying that's good or bad. You not getting the job, stop saying that's good or bad. We make up so much meaning about these things that draws that emotion, that emotional tension into our lives. Because the reality is we all have situations where we can look back and we can see what we thought was a really good situation turned out to be a load of crap. Mm -hmm. We also have had those situations that we thought were really bad in the moment that led to more good than we could have ever possibly imagined. And so instead of labeling these things as good or bad in our lives, start asking the question, what can I learn from this? What is useful about this? And what is not useful about this? Eliminate that binary polarity of good and bad in situations and circumstances. You will bring so much peace and joy into your life. You will enjoy life so much more. And if you always ask that question, what is what is there to learn right here? What's life teaching me? What's useful about this situation? What's useful about my parents' divorce? What's useful about me not getting What's not useful about my parents' divorce? What's not you? Because it will help you to discover more and more and more of who you are and who you want to become, which is a perpetual, ever-evolving process. And you will constantly redefine who you want to become month after month after month after month. And that's the fun. Yeah. That is the fun. Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with everything you're saying. If I, I would have gone back, I would have just been like, hey, just just be like everybody's like, fine, you're you know, your 20s about finding yourself. But then you end up trying to chase and you're like, well, I'm waiting to find her. I'm waiting to find her. Stop running. Like just literally what if your entire being right now is to just be if it piques your interest, if it sounds fun, if it makes you happy, like what if you just follow that? That's literally breadcrumbs to what exactly you know whatever mountain you're trying to climb those are the breadcrumbs to get there so just have fun yeah. so i i love what you're saying and we're 100 gonna have to have a part two because i know that everybody <laughs> listening is like oh my god what am i supposed to do with myself now because that's how i feel i'm just like what why i'm like just... <laughs> well i do have i do have one final thing just to yes, bless yes 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 let's hear it so around goal setting and things like that and defining who you want to become, it's a, it's a challenging process, but I actually created an entire ebook on this that's free. I'd yes. love to give it to you and to your community. Oh. If you go to 
fierceempathyframework.com, just fierceempathyframework.com. Uh, there's a download button. It's called the Fierce Empathy Self-Coaching Guide. It's a way that you can coach yourself through all these different things. You can ask yourself tough questions. You can really like dial into, okay, what do I really want and why do I want it? And is this, how am I defining success? And is this really the way that I want to live my life? And it allows us to step away from comparison, which we know on social media is devastating, but it allows you to start crafting that version of who you want to become. It's 100% free. Just go to fearsempathyframework.com, download it. There's two buttons there. One is for coaches and trainers. This one's called the self-coaching, uh, Fierce Empathy Self-Coaching Framework. Download it, use it, and I, I hope, I believe you will find it useful. I've had countless people tell me that it has helped them to understand more about goal setting and how to do that in an effectual way. Thank you so much. Where else can people find you if they want to follow, if they want more of you? Yeah, just hit me up on, on, on social media. I'm on basically every channel. Instagram is a place you can DM me if you want to. Uh, you can go check out my website, davidwaldy.com. Um, but yeah, just hit me up. And if you know, if anyone wants to, to reference this podcast, I'd love to create a conversation and just get to know you. I'm very intentional, particularly on Instagram to create actual relationships with people. If you message me, I will actually message you back. So <laughs> I love that. Oh, David, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I do hope that we can bring you on again. Guys, if you love this episode, please go follow, give him some love, share everywhere. Um, I know that I will be sharing this episode everywhere because this was such a valuable conversation. I cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank you, Sarah. It was an honor and I am so excited for your upcoming wedding. They didn't mention you. that in the podcast. They did not. Yeah, they, 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 we go in and out of wedding content. I do, I do a couple updates, and but I don't want to bombard people. Some people are like, "I'm so sorry you're getting married." I'm like, "I know. I don't even talk really talk about it." But yes, yes. Thank you so much. We're super excited. Well, thank you for your time, Sarah. It was an honor to be here. <laughs>